Welcome to The Bull and the Bear, a money and markets podcast. We give you the advice you need to know to make investing safe and profitable. With The Bull and the Bear podcast, you'll get exclusive access to some of the top thinkers, analysts, advisors, and gurus in the investment business. And now for your hosts, Matt Clark and Charles Sizemore. Hello, everyone. Matt Clark, research analyst uh, with Money and Markets with your Bull and the Bear podcast. I'm pleased to be joined by Chief Investment Strategist Adam O'Dell and uh, Editor Charles Sizemore on today's podcast. Uh, before I get started, I do want to uh, talk up Adam O'Dell just a little bit. He's actually got uh, a video out where he talks about how he used a, tra- a certain trading strategy to retire at the age of 33. And I've said before, I'm not 33. Uh, and I wish I would have known how I could have retired at that age. Um, but uh, uh, alas, Adam is sharing this with you. If you go to www.theinvestingsecret.com, uh, he will certainly let you know all about that. So I would encourage you uh, to do so. Also visit moneymarkets.com uh, for free, uh, uh, safe and profitable information uh, we release out to you every day. Now, I, I'll start off with a bit of a story. I remember, you know, my grandfather was an engineer. He was an engineer, worked for Boeing for many, many years. He um, worked on uh, nacelles and struts on, on, on large aircraft and uh, was very, very good at his job. And one thing, and as an engineer, he was very, very meticulous. And I remember going over to my grandparents' house all the time. And, and my grandfather would always use one of those old ledger books to balance his bank account. Um, you know, you have income in one column, you have expenses in another column, and then expenses are subtracted from, from income. And that gives you how much money you have or don't have left. Um, but technology today has evolved considerably. Um, it, it has kind of made the ledger obsolete. And, and, and what has made it obsolete is blockchain. Now, you know, you equivalent blockchain with crypto, and, and that's always a common thing because, you know, cryptocurrency uses blockchain as kind of an anchor. But in simple terms, blockchain is storing data in blocks that are chained together in chronological order. Um, and, and, and it's become a new way of balancing large transactional accounts. Uh, and, and technology, uh, along with the companies using it, are actually uh, taking the market by storm. I took a look at the Amplify Transfor- Transformational Data Sharing ETF. That's a mouthful. It trades on the New York Stock Exchange under BLOK. Uh, it's actually, uh, it, it hit a low about $13 in March. Uh, the ETF has climbed as high as $41 a share, a 215% jump in, uh, in January. So it, it, it shows that there is some, and, and this is an ETF uh, that holds some of the biggest names in terms of fintech and blockchain. So what I want to do is I'm going to bring in Charles and Adam, and I want to talk about uh, a couple of blockchain stocks. Now, these are stocks, these are companies that you know, you've probably heard of, or you have used or something like that. And you may not necessarily realize that they do have some sort of a tie back into blockchain. Now, the first company I want to talk about kind of made its name by providing point-of-sale hardware uh, that can connect to a smartphone or a tablet, and it's really geared for small business users. So things like uh, uh, fair booths or farmer's markets or things like that, uh, they would have something you would just connect to your phone and you could take credit card payments, made, things, made life very easy um, for small businesses. And then, now that technology has kind of been adopted to larger, larger businesses, more specifically larger retail, uh, larger retail outlets that actually use their point of sale machines as bases instead of just the, you know, the small device that they start out with. Now, this company's sales were about $552 million back in 2013. 
but they've jumped to 4.7 billion in 2019 and they're trailing 12 month sales as of right now, 7.6 billion. So you can see that they have a massive trajectory of sales growth. Uh, the stock for this company soared off of its March 2020 lows and it jumped nearly 500% off those March lows. So the stock has moved forward, the sales are high. Uh, the company here is Square Incorporated, trades on the New York Stock Exchange under the ticker SQ. First, I'll throw it to Charles Sizemore and uh, give me your thoughts on Square. This is kind of an interesting company that had an interesting beginning and has massively grown in just about seven years. You forgot taco trucks. You mentioned fairs and and farmers markets, but you you forgot the the, the, the taco truck. I that's did, an important I, I uh, early clientele. Forget, I did forget taco trucks. Yes, or or it's or just fault, food trucks in general. Just food trucks in general. Um, I, I I say this because I believe the first time I used a Square app was actually at a taco truck uh, in Dallas, and it was delicious. So, uh, so there's that. But no, I, I've actually been really impressed with, with Square's growth. I remember when it came out, it was really just kind of a novelty. And you're right, it was, it was geared, to <clears throat> geared towards really small businesses or that start on your kitchen table. I mean, it was a very, very modest, modest start. And they've really adapted and grown. I mean, now major retailers accept Square. And um, it's, it's very much a millennial play as well. Uh, millennials and Gen Z, they really like paying on their phone. It's, it's funny, I'm not that old, but, but for me, I'm used to just swiping a credit card. I mean, that's what I grew up doing. And for me, that's just really convenient. But um, uh, people, you know, 10 years younger than me just didn't really you know, they came of age in, in the era of, of uh, mobile payments. And so for them, it's just as easy to, you know, you know, put their phone on it. So um, I, I think this is, I think there are good long-term trends supporting this stock. Uh, going on that crypto and, and blockchain angle, Square also was, uh, I can't really say an early adopter, but as far as sort of quasi mainstream, you know, companies go and not just dodgy back alley stuff, Square was one of the first to allow you to hold your balances in cryptocurrency and, and conduct transactions in it in a not too cost prohibitive manner. One of the biggest problems with crypto is like you just get absolute out in transaction fees. Um, Square is not, not as bad on that stuff. So um, I, I think there's a lot of really good trends supporting it. I think Square is gonna be around for a long time. I'm a little bit concerned on the price of the stock really has just exploded higher. And at the end of the day, they do have a lot of competition from you know every other Tom, Dick, and Harry here. So uh, I would say I'm going to call it a buy, but it's 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 a weak buy for me based on valuation. Okay. And uh, Chief Investment Strategist Adam O'Dell joins us. Um, your thoughts on Square? This is uh, this is a, an interesting company, and Charles is right; it's taken off sales-wise. Its stock has taken off, but I mean, you know, to say that its stock has taken off is not necessarily a novelty anymore because there's tons of them that have done that since their March lows. So, but give me your thoughts on Square. Yeah, I'm actually going to mirror uh, Charles's tone and say I'm going to call it a buy. There's obviously a good measure of hesitation in that. Uh, maybe a hold your nose for the valuation thing. Um, looking at our six-factor green zone stock rating model, um, of the three stocks we're going to talk about today, Square rates the highest, and it rates kind of in the neutral range at 49, which basically means that half the stocks on the market uh, are better rated and half are worse rated. Uh, it's, but it's really kind of a tale of two cities or a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde type of thing. I mean, 
Um, Square gets rated the lowest on size. It has a one rating out of 100, just, and that simply means that it's a rather large company at just over $100 billion. Um, recently, obviously, didn't start like that as you, as you kind of introduced. Um, its next lowest rating is value, which kind of Charles into that, the, the price of the stock right now, the valuation is pretty awful. Uh, so I think the PE ratio is in the 300s, um, and that gives it a seven out of 100 value score. Um, so if you're looking to solely invest in value stocks or in small cap stocks, this is not the company for you. Uh, on the other hand, it gets a 95 out of 100 on momentum because of its uh, recent run-up in the past year or so, and it gets a 99 on growth. So to me, I mean, it's a little bit worrisome sometimes when you see a really good momentum score, but you see a bad growth score because that just shows you that it's maybe just a fad or the, the price action's run up and it's, it's going to be a shorter term phenomenon. I mean, I'm a, I'm a lover, I'm a huge proponent and believer in, and successful with the momentum strategy, but momentum itself only lasts for about uh, one to 12 months. So if you're really looking to hold stocks beyond that, you need more than just momentum in a stock. But Square, as you alluded to in its sales growth, uh, you know, it gets a 99 out of 100 on the its growth factor score. So it really does have the growth backing up that momentum. So for me, uh, Square is a buy. I'd much rather kind of buy it on a dip. I mean, it's, it's pretty far stretched from its 200 day moving average. So Technically, I think you can kind of wait for a pullback over the next, say, three to six months and try to get in uh, sub $200 per share. And I think that would be a better buy. But ultimately, I mean, Square has disrupted the uh, kind of the traditional credit card, Visa, MasterCard, Amex, um, you know, stalwarts. And as long as it can continue to innovate and kind of be at the lead leading edge of that pack now that it is with the big boys, um, I think that it's a great bet for the long run. And, you know, I like Square. I really do. I like the company. I like what it does. I like how it's disrupted things. I don't like its numbers. I, I, don't, I, I don't like its, its ratios right now. I don't like its, uh, you know, its return-ons are solid. Um, you, know, it's, you know, it's dead as it's dead, and that's one thing. Um, I, I just, I'm just really hesitant. So I'm, I'm kind of with you guys. I really would want to buy this, but I think it would be a short term, uh, and I would really wait for this price to fall. Um, I don't, I wouldn't buy it today. I think right now it's about 227, 228, um, give or take. Uh, I, I would, I, I would want to get this at, at under 200 because I, I think it's, I think it's met some resistance. Uh, I think if it comes back down, it's going to come, go back up to that resistance point again and maybe even break through it. Um, so I, I think it, buying it at around 200, uh, even less is great. That, that is the perfect time to get in to a, a company like Square. So all three of us are buys, a little, a little hesitant on it, but we're, we're all buys on it. Now, moving on to the next company. Um, this is one of the world's most well-known digital payments company. And I say that, I say digital payment because if I gave away what it really, really did, everyone would know what it was in a heartbeat. It operates transactional processing networks that uh, enable authorization, clearing, and settlement of payments. Basically, it's a one-stop shop to take money, process money, and then settle you know, settle accounts afterwards. Now, the company has actually been making investments in blockchain since about 2016. Um, it partnered with a blockchain infrastructure company actually called Chain to help companies make secure B2B payments using blockchain. Uh, and these are large-scale B2B payments. These aren't just, you know, five, $10 transactions. These are $1,000, $10,000, dollars transactions between businesses um, that we're using, now using blockchain to try to to trace and, and use in chronological order. Um, it allows customers to, uh, the, the company we're talking about here allows its customers to convert crypto into cash or use crypto as a reward payment. Although at $34,000 per for a Bitcoin, that's an awfully big reward uh, for what you don't, what you get, which would be one coin. 
Uh, now this company's grew, stock grew as much as 62% off as March lows. Uh, in earlier in January, it's pared back a little bit, but it's still up 53% from, uh, from its coronavirus crash low. Um, and the company here is Visa Incorporated, trades on the New York Stock Exchange under the ticker V. Now in terms of, of blockchain implementation, Visa is actually one of those pioneers. They got in before the big Bitcoin run up in 2017. They kind of recognized the trend early uh, and got in before 2017 when, block, when, when blockchain became big and Bitcoin came up, uh, uh, went up to around 20,000, I think, from 900. Um, so Charles, you know, does being an early disruptor in terms of blockchain make Visa an attractive company for you? Not necessarily. Um, let, let me go backwards for a minute. What's, most people look at Visa and they view it like it's a, like it's a bank. They, they view it as if it's a bank. And that's really just, it could not be further from the truth. Visa is, is not a bank. You know, they do not carry debts. Well, they carry debts, but you know, they, it's not like a bank where they're issuing credit. It's a payment system. And that's always made it attractive because while banks had to set aside reserves for losses and, and had to accept credit risk and whatnot, Visa doesn't care if everybody in the world defaults on their Visa card payments. That's the problem of the banks issuing the cards. It's not Visa's problem necessarily, only in the sense that there would be less swiping in the future and that would be a problem. But in terms of, of, of actual you know, credit risk, Visa really doesn't deal with that. It's just a payment system. So um, it's been a very attractive, it's been in a very attractive place for years because while well, credit cards are old technology in the, uh, in the developed world, when you look at the developing world, you know, the uh, emerging markets, a lot of these people have never even had bank accounts before. They've had very simple, you know, that they grew up in a very simple economy. And as they have been integrated into the modern world, one of the first things they've gotten is, is a, a credit card just or, or, or a debit card yeah, either way just just a, a visa branded card right right and so uh, that was one of the biggest trends of the last you know call it 20 years now that is of course old news the bigger news now is of course the transition to blockchain related payments it is interesting that visa is uh, an early pioneer there because you don't really hear that that much when you hear about um, crypto or um, blockchain related stocks, you know, Visa doesn't usually, it's usually not in the conversation, but, but, right. it, but it should be. Exactly. Um, yeah. So in terms of, you know, what, what do I, I think of Visa right now? It's going to be similar to Square. I, I do feel like it's, it's an innovative company. It's uh, ubiquitous. It's all over. And, and it still is a growth company because there are still hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of millions of people that have never had a bank account or never had a credit card or debit card before. And that in this transition, Visa is going to be part of that story. Um, I think it is, it's an interesting long-term play. Um, the management has proven to be innovative. I think it has everything going for it. It is just a little bit on the expensive side. So I'm, I'm pretty neutral on it, honestly. Okay. Um, Adam, you know, your thoughts, does, does being an early disruptor in terms of blockchain, being an early investor in blockchain and a rec you know, recognizing blockchain early, does it make Visa any more attractive to you? I think that factor, um, first of all, it's not surprising. It's such a large company with such resources. Uh, you know, they're, they're not idiots. They've got, uh, they've got managers and leaders that, uh, you know, do read what, you know, on the cutting edge of things, even if they're not uh, developing the technology themselves, they have the resources to put whole teams to research it and to acquire companies that, uh, you know, that, that deal in that. So I'm not surprised that they are adopting uh, blockchain and one of the earlier ones. 
that said, I think it's simply, uh, and, and that, that kind of ensures its survival. I mean, I kind of, what comes to mind is Eastman Kodak back in the 1970s was selling film for film cameras. And I don't know if many people know this, but they actually, you know, developed some of the early technology or figured out the te early technology for digital cameras, but they kept it under wraps because they thought it would kill their film business when really what they ought to have done in hindsight is develop that technology themselves and, and push it forward rather than try to sweep it under the rug or hide it. Um, and then, you know, you know, obviously how Eastman Codex done now, but um, so I think that, you know, Visa being willing to adopt uh, and adapt with blockchain technology allows it to stay around as a major player. Does it move the needle for investors getting into Visa stock? I mean, is that going to basically make it the, the next hot stock or make it a market beating uh, stock? Not necessarily. I think that it's kind of one of those things that we're like, you know, televisions, the technology is always changing. There's new chips, there's new uh, screen displays and, but at the end of the day, that those don't necessarily make the the makers of TVs, you know, wildly more profitable. It's just they kind of keep up with the times, keep up with the technology. So I think in a way, once blockchain becomes a lot more uh, mainstream, the card companies like Visa, Mastercard, Amex, and any of the other digital payment ones, I mean, it's going to be one of those things where you you have to use it, and but 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 using it won't necessarily mean that you're going to be uh, delivering investment market returns. You still have to do something else. So. For me, Visa is a very neutral uh, play. It rates 35 out of 100 on our green zone rating model, so it's, it's even below average. It's worse than square. Uh, if you look at how the Visa's done over the past 52 weeks versus the S&P 500, it's trailed by about 17%. So for me, I mean, if you want to buy kind of a, a steady eddy, uh, you know, buy the S&P 500, don't necessarily buy a Visa. It's not going to move the needle on your portfolio. Yeah, I'm neutral here as well. I, you know, I'm I'm more excited about Square just because I like its adapt, uh, you know, adaptable adaptable platform. Um, Visa again, it's going to be around for a long time. Right? It's not going to go anywhere uh, long term. Maybe you know, maybe a buy and hold if that's what your portfolio recommends. Then Visa may not be all that bad. Um, but in terms of just buying it in term, you know, just for blockchain purposes, I'm pretty neutral. Uh, I'm I'm kind of with you guys. Not really, not not really there. Uh, but not really against it either. So just kind of him haw. Uh, now the the final company here on the list is, is a company that really hasn't taken off lately as much as its peers have. Um, it's a it, it has a cloud software division that's specific to health, financial services, and the Internet of Things. Uh, the company's annual sales have actually been in consistent decline since 2011. They'd reached about 106.9 billion dollars in 2011. They're trailing 12-month sales as of today, 75 billion. So they've had a, a pretty solid fall from grace uh, on their on their ledger or their blockchain. Uh, now, in terms of blockchain, the, the company uh, has created a suite of blockchain services back in 2017 when Bitcoin did make its last run. Now, unlike Visa, this company actually got in as the trend for Bitcoin was hot, uh, not beforehand as Visa did in 2016. Uh, now, that suite does cater to big companies now like Walmart, who actually uses this company's blockchain to trace its food supply chain, which is very interesting. Uh, its stock's only up about 42% off of its March 2020 lows. Uh, the company here is International Business Machines Corporation, or as you better know them, IBM, trades on the New York Stock Exchange under the ticker IBM. This is a company here, Charles, that has, you know, big tech is, has, has, has really taken off, has, has done wonders especially since march ibm's just not there is it a concern i hate ibm i'll be honest i hate that i hate that company i i wouldn't touch it with a 10-foot pole that I'll, is I'll tell strong. you why. <laughs> it, it, it is the uh so the the 
the emerging uh, blockchain business, and I believe they even had their own currency. The, the Lumen, I believe, was theirs. Like, yes. like they had, you know, they had, you know, that's great. Like that's a growth business potentially. That's something they could do really well for them. I think that segment of their business is quite promising. But you look at their legacy business, and it's just this this anchor pulling the company down. Um, you know, their their traditional business services and you know data services. That's just dead. You know, Amazon killed it with with uh, AWS. So, <clears throat> you know, it used to be that that pretty much every corporate IT department in the world had IBM hardware, had IBM consultants telling them how to run the hardware. It was just IBM ran the world's back offices, right? Well, I saw an interview with, I believe it was Larry Ellison of, uh, of Oracle uh, a couple of years ago. And uh, they asked him like, well, so who are your competitors here, there? And, and they asked him about IBM and, you know, he was kind of, you know, good mood. And all of a sudden he got real, like kind of almost apologetic. He's like, yeah, I'll tell you, it's been a long time since we really ran into IBM as a competitor. They're just kind of not on the radar right now. And that's it. Yeah, IBM was way too slow to embrace the cloud, and now they're a late comer to, the, to that business. At this point, Amazon.com and 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 Amazon, just Amazon and 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 Microsoft pretty well own that market with you know Alpha, you know Google, Alphabet, uh, you know it's, it's, you know number three. There's just after that it drops off. There's just you know there's just nobody. You know, like those those three companies pretty well dominate. Um, you know, back office computing now, and IBM's just not 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 in the running anymore. And so, while IBM does have this really promising thing going with with uh, the blockchain, it's not enough right now. Unless they spin it off as a separate business, then all of a sudden I might be interested again. But but right now, you just have this just this legacy business that's just this huge anchor around the company's neck. So I I would stay away. Now IBM started off with big computers, and I mean big. NASA-like computers. That's where they got their start. That's the anchor that you're talking about because they're still kind of living in that in, in that time frame. And now that 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 PCs, uh, you know, personal computers are so wide-ranging in terms of who can make them. Uh, there's so many companies out there that can because you know PC hardware isn't really proprietary. Uh, oh, that is it's not PCs. It's the servers. I mean, servers, Amazon, all that. Yeah, like, it's not nobody. It's, nobody's going to spend the money to buy a bunch of IBM hardware and then buy the employees that know how to use it when they can just outsource all of that to AWS, exactly. have Amazon run all of their stuff remotely exactly. and pay a fraction of what they were paying before. So I mean, yeah. IBM's business is dead and, and they've tried to adapt and, and, and copy AWS. But they've been but so slow at that. They're late to the party. I mean, like, they, they, they were too late. At this point, new relationships have already been formed. Companies have either signed up with Amazon or Microsoft, and it's one of those deals where success breeds success. If I'm, you know, an enterprise buyer and I'm looking at my options, I'm just going to buy. I'm going to do what everybody else. It's it's ironic. There was an expression uh, from like 30 years ago that nobody ever got fired for buying IBM, and that was, you know, the idea was if you're like the corporate IT department. You're not get, no one's gonna blame you if you buy IBM hardware and something doesn't go right because everybody everybody buys IBM, right? right? Well, now the exact opposite is true. You probably would get fired for buying IBM because everybody is buying Amazon or Microsoft services. No one's gonna get fired for buying AWS. No one's gonna get fire, fired for buying uh, uh, Microsoft's uh, Azure. So th that's it. I mean, IBM is just, they're relegated to this 
distant competitor, and it's really hard to ever catch up. It's not a turnaround play I'd want to bet on. Uh, Adam, uh, you know, they, they, they have their own blockchain suite of services. Um, they are, you know, they are serving large companies like Walmart, things like that. Um, but, you know, do, do you agree as, as, as this, the, the traditional business service for IBM just been an anchor and drug this company down? Um, well, I'll uh, be a contrarian a bit on this and play off of uh, Charles's uh, characterization. It's a turnaround play that I'm tempted to, to, to bet on. Um, that being said, I mean, its numbers are kind of uh, much different than the other two stocks we've talked about. Uh, its growth score is rather low at 24. Not surprising. The company's been around for more than 100 years. Uh, it's, it's fully developed and it's not keeping up with the times. Um, its momentum score is 23. I mean, that's one of the things as a pure uh, chartist or as a, as a technical analyst looking at the price chart. What you see is that IBM stock topped out in like early 2013 when a lot of the other stocks were in the market were accelerating through 2013. And it has just gone on the slow grind lower year after year for the past seven years. You can really buy IBM stock at the same price now that you could, buy, could have bought it in 2010. And in March, you could have bought it for the same price you could have bought it in March of 2009. So basically as if the bull market of the past 10 or 11 years did not even happen for IBM. Um, that said, its highest scores uh, are in value. It rates 77 out of 100 on value. So its PDEs, price to book, price to sales metrics are all really uh, much more favorable than the market and its industry group. If you're a believer that the value strategy is coming back, which I think a lot of people are starting to warm to that idea, I mean, value as a strategy or as a factor has been out of favor and out of vogue and underperformed for quite a while. But if you believe that uh, in the past six months or so, it started to show signs of life, if you, if you believe in that ahead, I think IBM could be a good value play. It also rates 82 on quality, so its, it's margins are pretty good. I mean, it's, it's a legacy business. It's not really at the cutting edge of anything. It is uh, falling behind, but it's one of those companies that I don't think it's gonna, I, mean, I think 10 years from now, Charles is still gonna have to be, uh, you know, putting up with the idea of IBM and talking about IBM. I don't think it's gonna go anywhere. So if, if nothing else, if value comes back into favor and um, there's a rotation of money back into stocks that have better valuations, um, and based on the price action, the, the chart pattern of IBM looks like it's kind of forming a pretty significant bottom here. Um, you know, I would wait for a catalyst, meaning I would wait for a quarterly earnings report that really surprises to the upside and, and puts some short-term momentum into the stock and breaks above that kind of downward sloping channel of the last seven years. Um, so I'd be, I kind of have IBM on my watch list as a potential turnaround buy, but I'd be a little bit patient right now because I think it could just keep going lower. Yeah, I, I, I'm not, I'm not with IBM at all right now. I just, I, I, I'm concerned that it hasn't moved. I'm concerned that it hasn't matched its, its tech peers in terms of, uh, of, of its momentum. Are they going to have a breakout quarter? This one isn't going to be it. Uh, you know, their quarterly report comes out, I think today, actually, which is the day we're recording this. Um, and I don't think there's going to be a surprise. I don't think it's going to be a surprise. That it's going to catch anyone off guard. Um, I think you're gonna have to wait two, three, maybe even a year before that actually happens. So, um, I, you know, I can see Adam's point where, I, you know, this could be a, a, a nice play as a, as a, as a nice rebound, uh, a company that hasn't, that hasn't that's found a bottom and is now going to find a, a skyrocketing way upward. Um, I'm just, I just don't see it yet. And until I do, this is a pass for me. Uh, uh, when I start to see the momentum start to pick up a little bit and I, I see a confirmed trend, then, um, yeah, I, then I, I think IBM could be a potential. But right now, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm with Charles. I'm kind of a stay away, 
uh, stay away, maybe, maybe watch it down the road. It's a, I mean, it's going to be around for, it's going to be around for a long time. I mean, IBM stock used to be the stock to own. I mean, that, that was the stock you handed down to your kids. Uh, you know, here's, here's my share of IBM uh, or my 10 shares of IBM. And that was, that you bequeath that in, in your will. I mean, that was how important IBM stock was. Um, it's not there now. And, and hopefully this company makes, you know, adapts and, and does something maybe, uh, maybe more blockbuster in terms of blockchain uh, and gets away from its traditional business model that just really hasn't worked. But until that happens, I think it's going to be a slow slog for, for IBM uh, for the time being. So uh, to kind of recap Square, we talked about that. All three of us were, were buys on Square. Uh, a little kind of hesitant buys on Square, but, but buys. For Visa, uh, we were all pretty neutral on Visa. And for IBM, uh, kind of a, a either stay away or wait and see. Uh, but probably not the time to buy uh, right now if I, if I kind of encapsulated all three of our, our opinions there correctly. So um, that's, uh, that, that was our take on, on, these, uh, on, on these particular blockchain uh, stocks. Again, you know, make sure that you are going to moneymarkets.com each and every day. We do provide safe and sound, profitable information to help you build up your portfolio. Uh, you'll have content there from Adam O'Dell, our chief investment strategist, uh, editor Charles Sizemore, who's editor of Green Zone Fortunes, myself, uh, who's research analyst for Money and Markets, plus much, much more. Sign up for our free e-letter as well. Uh, you can uh, get that just by giving a, just by putting in your email address. Uh, and also, I'd be remiss if I didn't tell you, if you want to find out how Adam O'Dell retired at the age of 33, and just look at him, you know he retired at 33. Just look, he's got that look of retirement of where just kind of, you know, I'll just do what I got to do and uh, do what I want. And he does. And he does that because he's got this, uh, he, he developed this trading strategy that helped him do it. And he is, uh, he reveals it. Just go to theinvestingsecret.com uh, and we'll try to put that website down on the, uh, uh, on the YouTube page here, on the YouTube uh, video. But yeah, theinvestingsecret.com and he will show you uh, how he did that. It's called his Millionaire Masterclass and it is, uh, it is definitely worth just checking it out and, uh, and seeing what it's all about. So uh, until next time, we've got, uh, we'll have more next week. Uh, we'll have more in the marijuana market update. Uh, stay tuned for our week ahead that comes out on Sunday. Uh, and then we'll have much, much more with the bull and the bear. So for uh, editor Charles Sizemore, chief investment strategist, Adam O'Dell, I'm research analyst, Matt Clark. And until next time, everyone, safe trading. You've been listening to the bull and the bear, a money and markets podcast. Tune in each week to hear insights on how to make investing safe and profitable for you. 